Welcome. Good morning. Whether you're joining us over our live stream or you're here in person with us this morning, I want to welcome you to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I am Leela Galt, Affiliated Community Minister with First UU, and I welcome each of you here this morning. It is a delight to see your faces. I especially want to welcome our visitors, those new faces to me. If you're with us on live stream, please feel free to say hello in the comments and let us know where you're watching from. We come from a long tradition of seeing the spark of the divine in every person. And in that tradition, I invite you to greet the holy among us, if you are online in the comments. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm Chris Jimerson, acting senior minister here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Thank you. I was actually supposed to be out this Sunday to attend our annual General Assembly of Unitarian Universalists in Portland, Oregon, and as it turns out, I wasn't able to go. So I was here in Austin this Friday when the horrendous Supreme Court decision came out nullifying Roe v. Wade. Uh, sorry. Almost immediately, I called up Lee and said something like, I am so sorry, I know I asked you to lead worship this Sunday, but as acting senior minister, since I happen to be here in town and this has happened, I feel like I have to go up at least for a bit and talk and be with my people. Thank you. Lee, as is typical, was very gracious and said something like, well, of course you do. <laughs> she suggested that this become our moment for beloved community this morning, which is a great idea, and Lee is our worship leader, so that is what we will do. I know so many of you are feeling heartbroken and a number of emotions, as am I. I know mine have run the gamut from anger to grief to fear to outrage to just raging out loud. And by the way, may we channel that rage into the upcoming midterm elections with a fury that will not be stopped. I know so many of us are feeling the need to do something, anything, so we've sent out a few things we might do for now by email online and in the slides for the announcements. 
In the meantime, though, let us remember that we need each other as we move through these difficult emotions. We will need communities of love and support, this religious community, as well as the diverse coalitions of, coalitions of communities we will join with to continue the struggle for reproductive justice. I loved a post by Lynn Cox, a fellow UU minister that was made online. They wrote, breathe, find your people, lament, care for each other. Effective resistance to empire is rooted in relationship. And make no mistakes, my beloved, a desire for fundamentalist Christian empire is what we are up against. We have to know what we're up against if we're to fight back effectively. As Clarence Thomas' concurring opinion made clear, that assault against women's reproductive rights, as well as so many other human rights that we hold dear, is not going to stop. So we, we as a religious faith, our job now is to respond with an overpowering love that will cry no to these immoral extremist injustices. In the days and weeks to come, let us care for each other, love one another into building a massive, effective revolution. For now, though, in a moment, I'm going to sneak out the side door over there and continue that Sunday out because I really do want to leave you in Lee's very capable hands. Know, though, that I am only a phone call or an email away. Know that in the days to come, we will explore together how this church may most effectively be a part of that continuing struggle for reproductive and other rights. And make no mistake, we will continue that struggle. We will build that revolution. As others have said, this is not over. We will not go back. I leave you with so much love. I encourage you to love one another through this challenging time. This is the warmth we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning by W.E.B. Du Bois. The prayer of our souls is a petition for persistence, not for the one good deed or single thought, but for deed on deed, thought on thought, until day calling in today shall make a life worth living. This congregation has a common religious purpose. It's our mission. The congregation wrote it together, and we put it on the wall of our sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday. Let us do so now.
Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. All of the children, I would like to invite you to come up here and listen to the story for all ages. Today's story features a big, calming breath. So, when you hear in the story that there's a big, calming breath, I invite you to take a big, calming breath with me. And I invite all of you, if you feel so moved, to take a big, calming breath, too. Can we try that together on the count of three? One, two, three. You're doing great already. This book is called Saturday by Oge Mora. This morning, Ava and her mother were all smiles. It was Saturday because Ava's mother worked Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Saturday was the day they On Saturdays, they zipped to the library for weekly story time. On Saturdays, they lounged in the salon chairs and got new hairdos. On Saturdays, they picnicked in the grass for a peaceful afternoon at the park. And on this Saturday, they would also ride the bus across town for a one-night-only puppet show. The day would be special. The day would be splendid. The day was Saturday. Ava and her mother could hardly wait. So zoom, off they went. But when they reached the library, story time was canceled. Oh no, Ava cried. It's canceled, wailed Ava's mother. They paused, closed their eyes. Here it comes, and... Out a deep breath. Don't worry, Ava, her mother reassured her. Today will be special. Today will be splendid. Today is Saturday. So zoom, off they went. But as they left the salon, whoosh, their hairdos were ruined. Oh no, Ava sobbed. Our dues boo-hooed Ava's mother. I bet that dog didn't mean to do that. What do you think? You think? They paused, closed their eyes, and let out a deep breath. Don't worry, Ava, her mother reassured her. Today will be special. Today will be splendid. Today is Saturday. So zoom, off they went. But their peaceful afternoon at the park was loud. Oh, no, Ava groaned. What did you say? It's too noisy, yelled her mother. They paused. Close your eyes. And let out a deep breath. Don't worry, Ava, her mother reassured her. Today will be special. Today will be splendid. Today we'll be ruined if we miss that bus. 
So zoom, extra special, one night only puppet show they went. We made it, Ava exclaimed as they arrived at the theater. Thank goodness, Ava's mother sighed in relief. Hooray for Saturday, they cheered. Tickets, chirped the lady at the door. Ava's mother reached into her purse, but the tickets weren't there. Oh, no, Ava's mother gasped. I left our tickets on the table. As Ava watched, her mother crumpled. I've had it, she sighed. Story time was canceled, our hair was ruined, the park was loud, and now we're missing the puppet show. I'm sorry, Ava. We looked forward to this all week, and I've messed up everything. I ruined Saturday. Ava was quiet for a moment. Then she closed her eyes and let out a deep breath. Don't worry, Mommy, Ava reassured her. Today was special. Today was splendid. Saturdays are wonderful because I spend them with you. So slowly, hand in hand, off they went. When they reached their apartment door, Ava turned to her mother. She had an idea. What if we, Ava started, you know we could, her mother began. So they did. What are they doing? They're making their own puppets. What a beautiful day. Our reading this morning is taken from the book titled Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. We who lived in the concentration camps can remember the people who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And there were always choices to make every day. Every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded in the form of a typical inmate. Fundamentally, therefore, any person can even under such circumstances, decide what shall become of them mentally and spiritually. They may retain their human dignity 
even in a concentration camp. It can be said that they were worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their suffering was a genuine inner achievement. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing in and breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place of greater well-being, that place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence, remembering that sounds signaling the presence of small children or human diversity are part of the sacred silence in this congregation. During this time, feel free to light an actual or virtual candle if you are so moved, representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience. Let us enter into that time of sacred silence together.
The second source of wisdom in our faith is words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers of evil and structures of oppression with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Dr. Viktor Frankl, whose words you heard in the reading, is certainly such a prophetic person. He belonged to the Jewish faith, and he started practicing medicine, neurology, and psychiatry in Austria in 1930. In parallel to his making a name for himself in those fields, Hitler's regime was rising. Frankel's prominence kept him and his family safe for a time. He tells of being summoned to the office of an SS officer, where he feared he was going to be arrested as a Jew. But instead of being arrested, the SS officer asked Frankel if he could give him some advice for a friend who was having some troubles in his life because SS officers do not have any troubles in his life in their lives but apparently this SS officer had a friend who had some significant challenges um, and Frankel offered that officer therapeutic services for about a year and bought his family some time that way but not enough time and Frankel ultimately spent four spent years in four different concentration camps and lost all of his family members to the genocide, except for one sister who was living on another continent at the time. He survived his camp experiences, and he wrote Man's Search for Meaning immediately afterwards in nine days in 1945. A 1991 Library of Congress survey found Man's Search for Meaning to be one of the 10 most influential books in America. Victor Frankl died, at ni died in 1997 at age 92, an age, I might add, you don't get to without experiencing significant challenges along the way in those later years. Frankl's life in the concentration camps is perhaps the most extreme example of finding meaning through the attitude taken towards unavoidable suffering. The problem of meaninglessness, though, arises in everyday life. It exists perhaps more often than it does not. Viktor Frankl, before he spent time in the camps, had been studying what drove people to what he called existential despair, and suicide. And after his liberation, he returned to those to that theme having catalyzed the heart of his philosophy while in the camps. He explains his term for meaninglessness, the existential vacuum, like this. He says there's a double-fold loss that comes with humanity in the 20th century. First, people have lost too much of their animal instincts that used to regulate their behavior. And now people have to make choices, a lot of choices. And second, traditions that had guided them with embedded value systems are rapidly disappearing. So now, no tradition tells a person what he has to do, and no instincts tell the person what he ought to do, and sometimes people don't even know what they wish to do. Instead, they wish to do what other people want them to do, conformism, or they wish to do what other people tell them to do, totalitarianism. 
I don't know about you all, but that rings a little bit true for me in America today. According to Frankel, we can discover the meaning of our lives in three ways. Three doors. One, creative gifts, such as by creating a work or doing deeds. Your vocation, your work raising a family, your effort cultivating a particular relationship, that would all fall under door number one. Door number two, through our experience of love for or from someone else, or our wholehearted appreciation of joy in the good and the beautiful, such as nature and art. Three, and unfortunately for you all, this is what we'll be focusing on today, <laughs> and he thought most importantly, is the attitude we take towards unavoidable suffering. When we can't change a situation, we can transcend it, and we can find meaning in it through our response to it. Frankel called this attitudinal shift tragic optimism. I want to be careful to call out that he didn't glorify suffering for suffering's sake. He said, let me make it perfectly clear that in no way is suffering necessary to find meaning. I only insist that meaning is possible even in spite of suffering, provided certainly that the suffering is unavoidable. If, if it were avoidable, the meaningful thing to do would be to remove its cause, be it psychological, biological, or political. Easier said than done, Viktor Frankl. Um, but to... Su <laughs> To suffer unnecessarily is masochistic rather than heroic. So with that caveat, um, major places that you come up against some unavoidable suffering are in aging and illness. In other times and places, I noticed that elders have been given honor and asked about their late-in-life experiences, revered as fonts of wisdom, and I think less so in our time and place, unfortunately. I notice at my work in the hospital that all too often aging, end of life, and illness are minimized or kind of swept under the rug and not really talked about. And perhaps even worse, are instead of honoring our elders for what they're going through, we might even make them feel a little bit of shame that they're going through it. How different would it be if we honored a person's suffering as fertile ground for meaning, encouraging that person to feel purposeful in ways that they may be able to respond to their unavoidable situation? I see Frankel's philosophy applied in my particular chaplaincy work at the hospital. I learned so much about the world when I ask strangers what has been hardest for them about their hospital stay and what has surprised them and what they take away from their experience. I invite you to do the same within our community. It might be um, a meaningful experience. Frankel's approach also honors aging through his emphasis on what he called the granaries of the past. He says, for as soon as we have used an opportunity and have actualized a potential meaning, well, then we've done so once and for all. We have rescued it into the past where it has been safely delivered and deposited. In the past, 
Nothing is irretrievably lost, but on the contrary, everything is irrevocably stored and treasured. The deeds done, the loves loved, the last but not least, the sufferings that you've gone through with dignity and courage. So from that perspective, from Frankel's perspective, I would challenge that our elders leave, lead more meaningful lives than younger people ever could because they have abundant granaries of the past that they can draw from in any situation that faces them in the present and that they can gift to others in the form of stories or a little more dangerous advice. <laughs> Nothing and no one can ever take those sufferings made meaningful away from people. And in the hospital, I try to, I try to catalyze people's experiences of suffering so that it can be a source of strength for them in their present circumstance. I might ask, have you ever been through something like this before? And sometimes they say no, but you know, even in the worst illnesses, they will often say, you know, yes, it wasn't exactly this, but if I was rating my pain on a scale of zero through 10, you'd be surprised how many times in an older person's past they've been at an eight, nine, or 10. And each of those experiences and the resources that they use to get through each of those experiences can be applied then to their current suffering and can be a source of power and strength. You may be thinking, reverently, I would like to have meaning in my life, and I would prefer not to go through intense, unavoidable suffering. <laughs> Weren't there two other doors? Remember the other doors? Where are those doors? Vanna, spin them. So yes, there were. There were two other ways, and that was by creating a work or doing a deed or by wholeheartedly appreciating something. I got you. I, I would say that those two other doors are a whole other sermon, and I welcome feedback if y'all would like to hear that sermon. <laughs> but I'll give you just a little bit about those paths today so that you can, you know, decide for later which door you want to learn more about. So I'm going to pose some questions to you, and I invite you to adopt a comfortable pose. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable. Um, and see how these questions resonate with you. I'll have a brief silence after each one. It's not your only chance in life to find meaning, so I don't want y'all to stress out, okay? <laughs> this, is like, this is like you're at a movie theater, and this is like a preview of a whole other thing. Amen. Yeah. What brings you joy? What strengths and skills flow easily within you? Putting those ideas together, what are you good at and love so much that you would pay to do it? If you had only six months to live, what would you do with those months? Open your 
if you had all the time and all the money in the world, what would you do? If you were guaranteed to succeed and you knew that you could not fail, what would you do? Or shout out to Reverend Chris, the Brene Brown daring greatly variant of that is if you weren't guaranteed to succeed and knew you could possibly fail, what would you still do? Imagine it's your memorial service. What do you hope will be said about you in the eulogy? How do you want to be remembered for giving your gifts in service to your family, your community, and your world? If this exercise is evocative and you want to know more, there could be a Will to Meaning Sermon Part 2, or you could go to my very, very favorite and free website called Optimized by Brian Johnson. He's got a whole workbook on finding purpose and meaning that's free. If the answers to these questions that sprung up in your mind Point to things that are already present in your life, like your relationships, your deeds, your pastimes, then you're likely already actualizing meaning in your life. If the answers point to deeds and experiences or people that are not present in your life now, then you should probably explore those answers because your purpose may be tied up in them. But in either case, I encourage you to Simply take some action, just baby steps, just strikes of a chisel against a huge stone that will perhaps someday become a sculpture. And take that little action every day that's in line with your meaning and your purpose. But be not anxious. As I said before we started this exercise, purpose and meaning are really big words. And before they bring forth something helpful, they often bring forth something kind of stressful. But you don't have to figure it out today or all at once or even ever explicitly nail down what it is. You want to be working on it. You want to be looking for it. You want to work towards it. Embark on missions that you sense might be on the right path for your purpose or meaning. And in doing so, you don't have to solve the world. Um, your meaning and purpose will be unique to you and your circumstance and your family. It doesn't have to make sense to others. And, you know, clutch that door number three whew, close to your hearts. Because even if this exercise um, didn't bring forth any sense of direction or purpose, and even if the pleasant parts of your life never yield the tiniest twinge of meaning or purpose, that door number three is there for you. <laughs> Unavoidable suffering. 
Hard things have happened to all of us. More hard things are coming. But, as Frankel says, there are no tragic and negative aspects to life that cannot be, by the stand one takes to them, transmuted into meaningful experiences, beacons of dignity, or kickstarters for purpose, I say. Amen. And blessed be. Now please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. My wish for each of you is that you find the unique meanings in your lives and rarely experience the existential vacuum. And I also charge you to witness to the meaning that you see in others' lives, mirroring for others their inherent worth and dignity and the meaningfulness that you see in them. So be it. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.